Several years ago, around Easter time, my cousins, my sister, her husband, and their kids came and visit us, and it turned out to be one huge battle. The kind that where you use Nerf guns. Have you ever seen one of those little guns you can shoot Nerf bullets out of? Some of you have seen those, maybe even shot some of those at grandkids or children. And uh, we had this big Nerf battle. Everybody had a Nerf gun and a supply of Nerf bullets. And we had this massive battle through the house. People were running, jumping, screaming. It was complete Nerf war chaos. Now, in that scenario, there's not a huge risk of getting killed. Not many people die by Nerf bullet. But there was some minimal risk. I mean, I could have lost an eye. I was more concerned about myself than any of the little cousins. I could have lost an eye. I could have tripped and fallen over a piece of furniture. I could have sprained my ankle, dashing through the hallway, running from them. But the risk was pretty small. I cannot imagine, reflecting on that moment, what it would be like to live through real war to have real bullets being shot at you to be a real target where you could lose your life that that's the real risk when someone has made you a target and they literally can take your life you you think about what it means that God will one day pour out His wrath on all people who have sinned against Him, who have not trusted in Jesus Christ. And what the Scripture is telling us in Revelation chapter 6 is that everyone outside of Christ, because of their sin, is a target of the wrath of God. Every single one of us outside of Jesus Christ has leveled upon us the crosshairs of God's wrath. We are a target. But thank God that Revelation chapter 7 communicates to us that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have received the seal of the living God. And receiving the seal of the living God means that God has shifted the target of His wrath away from us and completely and totally on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has absorbed the full wrath of God so that those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have received the seal of the living God no longer have the target of God's wrath on them ever again free from the wrath of God. But I don't want you today to make the mistake that that means you no longer are a target. You should in fact think of the seal of the living God on your life as being one huge target on your life because we're living this side of heaven right in the middle of a spiritual battle. And we have a real enemy. And we live in a broken world that is bent against Christ and all those who follow Christ. And having the seal of the living God does 
remove the target of God's wrath, but it creates the target of the enemies of God. And the enemy of God, according to the Scripture, is prowling around like a lion, seeking people to devour. And the ones he's seeking to devour are the ones who have the seal of the living God. He wants to attack the church and cause you to be ineffective in following Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the seal of the living God has removed the target of God's wrath. But the seal of the living God has created the target for you in a world that's broken and opposed to Jesus. I don't want to minimize the reality of the enemy's opposition to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't want to minimize the challenge and the difficulty that this broken world brings into our lives and the momentary injuries that we experience. But I'm telling you that the risk inherent by having the target of this world on you is minimal compared to the risk of the target of God's wrath being on you. When the target of God's wrath is removed from you, the world in which you live becomes a Nerf war variety of challenges compared to what it would be like if God's wrath was still targeted towards you. He does not miss. But because of Jesus Christ, you now live in a world that is far less risky because you have been sealed and never again will you be a target of the wrath of God. It does not mean your life will be easy. You know that, right? It does not mean that our life will be absent of suffering, right? In fact, we know that as we read the Scripture and as we study followers of Christ through the New Testament and through history, that it is more normal for a follower of Christ to suffer than for a follower of Christ not to suffer. When you read the New Testament you, and you look at history of Christianity, it's easy to conclude from what the Bible communicates to us that it is abnormal for a follower of Christ to not suffer. And it is normal for the follower of Christ to suffer. Just look at the disciples. I mean, the disciples spent all this amazing time with Jesus. I'm certain that all of them felt like Jesus was their new best friend. And he communicated to them that he had a life for them to follow him and to make him known that he would be with them. They didn't need to worry about what they would say because he'd supply it for them. They didn't need to worry about taking things with them because whatever they needed along the way, he'd make sure that they had it. He communicated to them that he would be with them, that they would have joy and he would make their joy full. He prayed for them that they would be protected from the evil one. He told them, I'm going to prepare a place for you and it will be an amazing place and you will be with me forever. He walked with them. He spent time with them. He labored for them. He loved them. He took care of them at every step. They watched him take care of everyone's needs. Every illness was healed. Every hunger was met. He watched them completely take care of everybody around them. And they pledged their life to him. They surrendered everything to him. And they decided to follow him. And guess what happened to them? Every single one of them suffered. Most of them were beheaded, crucified, burned, killed, 
because they stood for Jesus Christ. It is completely normal for those who follow Christ to experience the hostility of the world and the enemy that is against the followers of Christ. I'm here to tell you when Peter showed up in heaven after he was crucified. The first words out of his mouth were not, why did you let me be crucified? I promised to follow you. And that's what happened? That's not how he responded to Jesus Christ. When Paul showed up in heaven after being beheaded, he did not show up and say, Why did you let me be beaten countless times for you? Why did you let me be in prison? Why did you keep me from going even to more places? Why did you not save my life this side of heaven? Why did this happen to me? He did not shake his fist at God and say, you ripped me off. No. That's not what happened. When those guys entered into eternity, they saw Christ, the good and perfect shepherd, and he changed everything. They entered into eternity with joy and thanksgiving, with no regret and complete thankfulness for the way God spent their lives for his glory. That's what I mean by the risks of this life in the crosshairs of the enemy or of the Nerf War variety of risk. Because when we enter into eternity, no matter what we faced, this side of heaven, we will consider it more than worth it because of what eternity with our great shepherd means. And today, Revelation chapter 7 is the flash forward giving us a glimpse into the greatness of salvation and the goodness of our shepherd. So let's look at it together. I cannot wait to read this passage to you. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they and from where do they come? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. Now, I think that's funny. I just got to stop for a second and just share with you why I think that is funny. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody asked you a question and you knew they knew the answer to that question before they asked it to you? And they really didn't want to hear what you had to say. They wanted to make sure they could say what they wanted to say. This kind of feels like one of those moments. Hey, John, who are these people that are clothed in these white robes and where do they come from? John's like, I'm pretty sure you know more than I do. And so John says, why don't you tell me? I'd rather do that instead of trying to answer that question. And so he says, why don't you tell me? And then in verse 14, it continues. He said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation." And they have washed their robes and they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they are serving Him day and night in His temple. And the one who sits upon the throne tabernacles over them. They do not hunger 
They no longer thirst. The sun will not be down on them. Nor is there any heat. Because the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. And He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will obliterate every tear from their eyes. That fires me up. John is looking at this great gathering of people who are standing before the throne. Remember the question in chapter 6, who is able to stand when God levels His target of wrath on you? No one can save those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and had the target moved from them to Christ who's absorbed all the wrath of God, therefore can stand. And this tells us what's going to happen when they stand before the Lord. They are going to, because of the blood of the Lamb, worship in service to God in His temple while His tabernacle is over them. The blood of Jesus Christ so washes clean those who put their faith in Christ that they now are able to perfectly worship God in everything they do, everything they say. This is our destiny when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, to be washed clean of all sin, clothed in righteousness, and able to serve the Lord in His temple. Now what's interesting about serving the Lord in His temple is that Revelation chapter 21 verse 22 says, there is no temple in the new heavens and the new earth. So we're getting a glimpse of what's coming. And it's coming for everyone who's been washed by the blood of Christ. From Revelation chapter 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, we will see again and again how everyone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ has been washed with the blood of Christ. And we are now clean from all our sin. And we have an eternity of perfect worship awaiting us. And we will do it in the temple of God, but Revelation communicates there is no temple. What it communicates is that God will be their temple. There is no building in the new heavens and the new earth. It's just the presence of God that is now the temple. And so what that means is that we will be able to serve the Lord day and night and all that we do in the presence of God. This is not your normal presence as we experience it. Notice this passage says that He will tabernacle over them. You ever been on a camping trip? Pulled out your tent? Believed that it would be a really solid tent? Only to discover when inclement weather strikes that your tent you thought would protect you from the inclement weather has failed? And this wonderful camping trip you had imagined in your mind becomes a horror and a nightmare. Ever been there? That's the picture that's being communicated here. That God will tabernacle over them. And when God tabernacles over us, 
nothing inclement will ever touch us again. We are in his presence. He tabernacles over us. He puts his tent of protection over us for eternity so that we are now free to live as servants in perfect worship of God forever. You know, John chapter 1 verse 14 uses the same word that Jesus came and he tabernacled with us. What I want you to see is the presence of God we've experienced this side of heaven, both when Christ came to tabernacle with us and then sent his spirit to be with us so that he would never leave us or forsake us is not the same as what's coming. What we've experienced so far is a down payment of what's coming. He has sent His Spirit to dwell in us so that He's with us, but there's coming a day where God will be with us as a temple surrounding us, and He will tabernacle over us as a permanent protection from everything that has harassed us our whole lives. We will be free to serve Him and worship Him with everything we are. He will tabernacle over us. And notice what He says here in verse 16. They will no longer hunger and they will no longer thirst. And the sun will no longer beat down on them and there will be no more heat. No more hunger, no more thirst. If you hang around in this room long enough today, eventually there's going to be a, a, a clock that resides in your stomach that will tell you that it is time for me to end the sermon. Every single person in this room, this side of heaven, is driven by our fleshly appetites. And most of the time, our fleshly appetites are a sure road of departing from Jesus Christ. But what God is promising us through our faith in Jesus Christ is that He will eradicate our fleshly desires so that we are not driven by the flesh ever again. And He uses the concept of hunger and thirst to which we all can relate. My mouth is really dry right now. That's why I sit up here this, every morning and just down water all the time because I know my mouth is going to get dry. Regan, she was so nervous up here earlier this morning and I share her nervousness. My mouth gets dry and I start thirsting. Like I could really use some water right now. I know what that's like to feel thirst. You know what it's like to feel hunger and thirst and there's coming a day when you will no longer ever be hungry or thirsty again. Your fleshly appetites will not drive your life. But we will eat and we will drink. But it will not be to satiate uh, the hunger of our stomachs because we will not be driven by the hunger of our stomachs. We will eat and we will drink because we will Worship in the perfect provision of God, not out of hunger for food, but because of having had every hunger met 
in Christ. I cannot wait until the day when my fleshly desires do not move me away from the Lord. Instead, all my desires Christ has put in my heart will be fully met and I will simply live a life of perfect worship. And the sun won't be down on us anymore and the, we won't get sunburned anymore. Are you tired of using sunscreen? There won't, even be a new, there won't even be a sun in the new heavens and the new earth. Because God will be our light. And Jesus will illumine our way. And we will perfectly follow Him in all that we do. We will not have an earth that we live upon that seemingly is bent against us. There will be no, bro no more brokenness on this planet. There will be no more tragedies on this planet. Everything about this earth will be remade so that it is now intended to be exactly what God created to be. A blessing to us in every way, shape, and form. Do you see what this is? Remember Genesis chapter 3 verse 18? The curse of sin by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your bread. One day will be totally reversed. No more sweat. No more hunger. All the curse of sin completely reversed. And we experience an eternity of perfect worship. That's where we're headed. That's where Jesus Christ is going to take us. Look what he says, verse 17. Because the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of living water. Now that ought to blow your mind right there. The Lamb becomes the shepherd. Now how in the world does that happen? Well, it happens because the shepherd became a lamb so that he might rescue his sheep and then he became the shepherd who would then lead his sheep to the very thing he secured for them, living water of eternal life. And one day Jesus Christ will gather up all those he has purchased with his blood and he will show them that he is the perfect good shepherd and he will lead us to the living waters where we have no more need or compulsion. We live perfect lives of worship, serving Him on a brand new earth that's not against us, but is for us, and in every way we'll be blessed as we live for the glory of God. Our good and perfect shepherd will perfectly rescue us. The last line, this glimpse to what's coming, is that, he, that God will obliterate every tear from their eyes. You know, as a parent, you can remember that first time where inside you, your heart was so stirred by observing your child in some moment of his or her life where crocodile tears welled up. And he saw them just spill over their eyelid and roll down their cheek. And it totally broke your heart. 
All you wanted to do is grab those cheeks and wipe those tears away and make everything right in their life. You know what that felt like, right? God cannot wait until the moment he can grab your face and take your cheeks and just wipe your tears away forever. Everything that has stood in your life against you because you're a follower of Christ that has brought tears to your eyes, every brokenness, every loss, every hurt, every pain, every sickness, every illness, every loss of another life, every stamp of death on your heart that has broken you, every fear that has brought tears to your eyes, every single thing in this life that has brought tears to your heart and your life, God one day will obliterate so you will never have have a reason to cry again. He will take every sorrow and turn it to joy. He will take every loss and He will make you full. He will take every brokenness and He will mend it. He will wipe every tear away. That is what we have to look forward to through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, this side of heaven Following Christ can be full of suffering. But what waits us on the other side of heaven so minimizes what's happening this side of heaven that we can actually be a people whose future promises define our present attitudes, thoughts, decisions, and actions. Do you realize that we were given these future promises so that our every present attitude, thought, decision, and action would be shaped and defined by Christ and all that He promises? This is how we can face the unknown and stand in faith. This is how we can face the thing that breaks our heart and hold on to faith in Christ while tears roll down our face in desperation. We know there's a day coming where Jesus will wipe away every tear. This is how we can tell our children and our grandchildren, you can live for Christ in a world that is becoming more and more opposed to Christ. We don't know what it's going to be like. And I can't imagine thinking about this world in 40 years. But I'm going to tell you this. The reason you can choose to follow Christ today is because of the future promises of what He is going to give you as your great shepherd. You can follow Him. You can give your life for Him. You can trust Him. You can face every sorrow. You can face every challenge. It's the Nerf gun variety of risk. We can do this. We can tell others about Christ no matter how the world opposes us because God has removed uh, from us the target of His wrath. We can do this. We can tell others about Christ at the risk of being persecuted. We can proclaim that Jesus saves at the risk of rejection because Jesus Christ has received us. Do you see the future promises? These are the promises that define everything we do right now. Before we enter into communion, I want to make sure that everyone in this place 
knows what it means to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because you're not supposed to take communion unless you've decided to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want to make sure that everyone, in light of these future promises that are so compelling to trust Christ right now in the midst of whatever you're facing, I want to make sure you know what it means to trust in Jesus Christ. Later in the service, there are going to be talk about um, graduating seniors. And everywhere around our community here in Georgetown, Liberty Hill, wherever you are, there are graduating seniors going to be, going to be walking the stage. You know, if you graduate from high school and you graduate from college and you get your first full-time job, you're probably going to be pretty excited about it. You're going to have made an arrangement with your employer. You know what you're going to be getting paid. You know the work that's going to be expected of you. And so you show up day one, Monday morning, ready to go. First thing, you're a little bit early. You're excited. You get into the first hour. You kind of get a feel for what you're going to be doing. You get working hard. Second hour, you're kind of getting in a rhythm. Third hour, you're like, man, this is a long day and I've got five more hours of this. You've got to be kidding me. And so you're like, man, I'm checking out. And you say, hey, I'm out. I don't like this thing, full-time job. I'm out. And you go, you, you leave. And you go through the rest of the work week just doing whatever you want. And you're like, man, this is great. I love this. And the weekend comes. You live it up. You're having a great weekend doing whatever you want, doing your own life. And, and you know Sunday night gets there and you're like, oh, man, I got I to gotta show up for work on Monday morning. Wow. I, I agreed to this job. They're my employer. I'm not going to get paid if I don't show up. And so Monday morning, you show up, you're ready to go, you say hey to everybody, and they're like, where you been? I was like, hey, I'm here for today, I'm ready to turn around and do some good work. And so you put in an hour, two hours, and by the third hour, you're like, this is ridiculous, I can't do this. Last week was far better than it would be this week if I keep on working, so you check out again, and you leave after three hours of work, and you're like, I'm going to go do whatever I want. How long would you last as an employee? And we all know. That being employed is a mutual agreement. Your employer says, I'm going to pay you X amount. And you say, well, in result of being paid that amount, I want to give this amount of work. And here's what we do. We order our lives around that mutual agreement, don't we? And we spend a lot of time working for our employer because we know that from the work we do, we will gain a paycheck. And so we keep on working. And we literally spend hours and hours shaping our entire life around that agreement where we are working to get something from our employer and our employer agrees to keep employing us because he's getting something from us. Let me just remind you, Christianity is not like a job. Not one bit. We don't have anything to offer God. Zero. God does not need anything. He is perfect in all His ways and we don't add anything to Him. We have not made an arrangement with God so that we work hard enough and we get something from Him that we hope we've worked hard enough to get. It's not like a job. And here's the thing, if Christianity were a job, some of you in this room would be great employees because you spend a lot of time, effort, and energy serving the Lord. But there are some in this room, if Christianity were a job, you'd be in risk of getting fired because you show up about three hours a week at most, you don't do anything else for the Lord all week. But praise God, Christianity is not like a job. And then no matter how you show up or how you live the rest of the week, listen to this, 
every single person in this room has nothing to offer God. Nothing. But God has everything to offer us. He has life. He has forgiveness. He has righteousness. He has joy and he has peace and he has hope. And he has done all the work for us. He sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He gave his life for us. And now we can follow him. And he has done all the work so that we might receive a gift of salvation. It's a gift. You, you can't do anything to earn it. It is a gift. This is not an employment contract. God is not clocking you in and clocking you out and measuring you. No, He has saved you. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been saved. And if you have been saved, you've been given a brand new life. You know what Christianity is more like? It's more like an adoption. I was adopted. My biological mom, when I was 10 years old, was killed in a car wreck. Can you imagine how different my life had been if I had been raised by my biological mom? But see, I was given up for adoption, and adoption meant for me a brand new life. I had adopted parents who raised me, and my life with my adopted parents was radically different than my life would have been under my other biological parents. That's what Christianity is like. Before Christ, you were under the control of the enemy of God. Then Christ came and saved you through your faith in Him, and you have been adopted by God into His family so that now you have a brand new life. You're not living under an employment contract. You're living under the gift of salvation where you have received a brand new life. You know what trusting Jesus Christ is? I'm going to follow you because you are the only one who can rescue me. And I need to be rescued. This is a rescue. This is a redemption. This is bringing people who were dead back to life. That's what salvation is. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to give him my life. And I want him to rescue me every day the rest of my life. Saved people live saved lives. Because they've been given a brand new life. Please. Don't take communion unless you have trusted Jesus Christ for salvation. Please receive the gift and the brand new life and pursue that new life with everything you are because now you know where you're headed. And he is so worth following. There is nothing like salvation and no one like our great shepherd.